0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to an episode of Just Say I'm your host, George Way. Today I'm by Jared Newman of the Chaos Lacrosse Club in the Premier Lacrosse League. Jared, thanks for coming on the show. Awesome.
1: Thank you for having me. Yes.
0: Yeah, so how's everything been? Another year under your belt in the Premier Lacrosse League uh, professional. Uh, you have the fastest shot recorded again going into an offseason where lacrosse was just named an Olympic sport. We'll get into that. How's this all been for you?
1: It's been great. It's been great. The Premier Lacrosse League has been a refreshing experience ever since they launched uh, five years ago. Uh, I think actually this upcoming Sunday, five years ago from this upcoming Sunday, um, they launched. Uh, it's been great. Uh, I played for a few years in the MLL before that, but you know, Premier Lacrosse League has done it right um, and I couldn't be more thankful for them.
0: Yeah, it's definitely been a great product. Seems like the players really enjoy it. I actually interviewed your teammate, Zach Geddes, uh, not too long ago, uh, and he seems like he's had such a great experience as well. Uh, so can you just take me through where you grew up and what the lacrosse culture was like there?
1: Yeah, I grew up in Western Massachusetts. Um, it was great. I mean, Western Mass is, a, is an awesome place to grow up. Um, I played, you know, basketball, baseball, and football growing up. I never uh, I never played lacrosse, actually. Uh, I touched lacrosse stick for my first time at 18 years old. Uh, so that was was an exciting change of pace being a senior in high school. Um, I decided to do a postgraduate year where I attended Bridgeton Academy in Maine. There, they made me play three sports. So it was basically the option of playing three different sports. You know, obviously basketball is my primary sport. So I would have played basketball in the winter or playing um, lacrosse in the fall and spring because at prep school they actually have a fall season as well. So I did that. Um, you know, fell in love with the game a little more. Started going on you know a bunch of these prospect days and clinics, which you know eventually led me to Providence College, where I decided to play full time. Uh, was a scholarship athlete. It was it was an unbelievable experience. Um, so yeah, you know I wasn't I wasn't as used to the lacrosse culture growing up as most kids would be um my lacrosse came a lot later in my career but uh you know I definitely would say the culture was not super strong um I definitely seen a lot of growth since I've left I mean there's a lot of club teams now there's a lot of you know individual training going on there's a lot of camps and clinics now so where I grew up has definitely grown quite a bit in the last let's say seven years in terms of lacrosse culture
0: yeah and that's what you want you want it to be better year in and year out so hopefully more people from your area make it to the Premier lacrosse league like yourself. So you mentioned Providence College. It seems like you had to make your decision fast considering you didn't touch a lacrosse until 18 years old. What made you choose the program? Because, you know, when you made the decision, great school. They're making a lot of changes in the academic world, but also the programs on the rise. That stadium wasn't there yet that uh, you played at Chapel Field at Anderson Stadium. Um, what uh, did you see in the program? Just because it seems like a lot of changes were coming, but you were coming in when they were pretty much just getting started.
1: Yeah, um, for me, you know, they, they had a new coach and uh, coach Chris Gabrielli, who, you know, I, I can't thank enough for the opportunity or all the all the things he's taught me over the years. Um, they had a new coach, new coaching staff and Gabrielli, uh, John Galloway and Coach Holm. Um, it was a good coaching staff. Coach Holm was actually a Western math guy. He grew up in Long Meadow. Uh, John Galloway is you know, arguably one of the greatest players to ever play the game. So very nice to have him on staff as well. And then Coach Gabs coming from a winning program at Duke was 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 really awesome. Um, they toured me around campus, you know. They explained to me, you know, the size of the school. They explained to me how you know everyone's always helping and willing. Everyone's always willing to help a friar. Uh, the friar family is very tight. It's very connected. Um, and then you know the campus was beautiful. There's a lot of promised changes. There's a lot of things coming, um, you know, in terms of stadiums and academic buildings and you know, business schools and new programs, et cetera. Um, so it was an exciting time, uh, to kind of start new. And for me it was the opportunity to be a part of a family and build something or go somewhere where it's been established for, you know, a hundred years and basically just be another guy in their program that was successful. I decided to take the, in my opinion, more challenging route and try to change a program and change a culture. Um, with the coaching staff. And, you know, I, I definitely think we did that, but you know, those guys really welcoming me with open arms and, and, you know, treating me like family is definitely what ultimately led me to attend Providence.
0: Yeah. And it was a great decision, obviously where you ended up and you had great success there. Uh, and it's just interesting to see, like you said, you know, I, when I came into Providence in terms of the changes with the school, I, was, I didn't really hear about them because I was just coming in as a new student. And I'm sure you knew a lot about them and where the program was heading. So it seems like you clearly had that investment from your coaching staff. I mean, how much did it help to have the guys like Bob Driscoll and Father Shanley just because, you know, they were really excited about PC athletics just as much as the athletes were.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think at that time of me coming in, there was a lot of things that were on the cusp, right? Like Nate Lehman was a relatively new coach for the hockey program. You have Chris Gabrielli coming in as a new coach for the lacrosse program. Cool. He's kind of, It was building his teams at the time to make these NCAA runs. Um, And, you know, Bob Driscoll and Father Shanley together were unbelievable. I got a chance, you know, to get pretty close with Bob Driscoll. I actually worked under Bob Driscoll my freshman year for an internship in the summer. um, And Steve Napolillo and Kevin Conley. So I have a very tight relationship with those guys. I played in golf terms, Father Shanley. And I just think that their commitment to excellence was exciting. And it wasn't just their commitment to excellence on the athletic side, but also the academic side. I remember when I toured campus um, was about, I wanna say I was there you know, about, about four to six months before the start of school. And I remember the new humanities building was a pile of dirt at the time. And they told me this will be done by the start of school. And I had never seen a building go up so fast in my life. But I remember when I walked on campus, it was done Uh, and it was beautiful. And then uh, that commitment kind of showed, you know, they, they do what they say and they say what they do. Right. Um, they promised athletic stadiums. They delivered, they promised new business school. They delivered, they promised new softball stadium. They delivered, they promised national championships. They delivered. Right. So it was very cool to see. And it was a very exciting time. And those two are definitely the masterminds behind it. Um, and I love Steve Napolillo, and I wish him, you know, all the best in his new endeavors AD. But there's a special place for the Silver Fox and Bob Driscoll uh, with me.
0: Yeah, I mean, what a duo that was. And obviously with Steve as well, who's, who came in and replaced uh, Bob Driscoll. For me, it's just unbelievable to see how much the school changed and just the athletic success, and it's continuing. It's, it's a place you want to be for sure, and it's awesome that it worked out for you. Obviously, like I said, great resources to have, you know, whether it's Chapley Field and Anderson Stadium, you guys got to train uh, in Schneider Arena with split with the hockey team. That led to great success. You're named uh, Big East Defensive Player of the Year. You're all Big East teams. But what was amazing about all that is it seems like you added more accolades each year. What was the key just to make that all happen? Because we do see college athletes who get that success and maybe think, oh, I'm just going to do it again, no problem. But it seems like you were really coming for more and, you know, aiming for that professional uh, contract and experience one day.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I don't I don't think the professional the professional leagues really came on my radar until probably midway through my senior year. Um, just because I was so committed to getting better at the sport, right? It was so new to me and I don't really like to lose at anything or be bad at anything. So the skill side of the sport I'd put a ton of work into, and I can't thank coaches like Galloway and Gabrielli enough. They spent ample time on the field with me in extra work. They gave me tons of drills to do. They gave me tons of insight. We watched unlimited number rounds of film. I couldn't even tell you how much film we watched together, but without those guys, I don't think I would be the player I am today. Um, They committed to me, right? They got the best out of me. And in turn, I think I got the best out of them. Uh, it, It was a really surreal experience to kind of keep pushing myself and, you know, being a team that didn't have, you know, the best record necessarily year in, year out, it's really hard to win individual accolades when you're not on the best team, right? You would imagine that winning individual accolades would go to the best players in the best team because they're winning the most games because they are the best players. So to win some of these awards over players from, you know, Denver, who won a national championship when I was at Providence in the Big East, you know, um, over Villanova guys, over Georgetown guys, over these schools who had great records and super successful programs meant a lot. And I think it was a testament to the work I put in, you know, on and off the field.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, it's it's, it's definitely a lot of great things to look back on. Um, so the thing I want to talk about is just the athletic culture at Providence. I think you were in definitely the best time in terms of just individual athletes, in terms of a balance across the school. What's it like just sharing that success with our athletes? Because you were in the time of Chris Dunn, you know, Brandon Tannum, and all those guys who won national championships. You were there with Max Steves. I mean, it just seems like at that time, you know, I know athletics are so great, but just in terms of individuals, I think you were there in the best of it.
1: Yeah, I think I think uh, I think we had a couple really special classes. Those, you know, probably a year before me. And then to a year after me, so that 2016, 17, 18 classes had a real special group of athletes. Um, you know, I think we were all guys who committed prior to the change, who wanted to be a part of the change, who wanted to be a part of the winning culture and, you know, really bring Providence Athletics to the map. Um, I think I think we just we saw what was coming. We took a gamble on a school that said they were going to deliver a lot of things and they did. And then I think it was up to us to kind of finish the job. So like you said, I mean, you know, there's Chris Dunn, there's LaDonte Hampton, there's Brandon Tanner who I was close friends with in school, right? There's Gilmore and and Rooney and all those guys on the hockey team. And then, you know, you even look at the other side of things in women's sports, you had Emily Sisson, who might want to have won more national championships than anyone. I mean, that girl is breaking records left and right. You had Max Steves and Dominic Machado on the soccer team, just killing it. Uh, you know, going to final fours. So it was definitely an exciting time of elite level athletes at Providence. And I think that, you know, they're working to try to continue that and keep getting better each year.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, great level of investment in the players and obviously players that are really talented like yourself at the time. And um, So I want to talk about that, that translates into the PLL. Uh, we talked about how PC was invested in you. What's it like to get into the uh, PLL right away when it's starting? But, you know, obviously the talented guys from the MLL moved over to that league. But there is that investment from off the field with Paul Rabel. I mean, what's like just to be a part of that? Because, you know, 20 years from now, you look back on it, you're able to say, you know, I was there when it began.
1: Yeah, you know, it's exciting. I think very similar to Providence, you know, PLL made a lot of promises uh, as to how they were going to change the sport, how they were going to treat their athletes, how they were going to do things. And much like Providence, they delivered, right? They showed up and they delivered. And I think that's why they got the best out of their athletes like me and a lot of other guys who took the risk and made that jump to go from the MLO to PLL. Um, you know, it's, it's been really remarkable. And like you said, in 20 years, it will be great to look back and say, you know, in 2019 when the PLL started, I was defensive player of the year. You know, it'd be really cool to look back and say that um, makes you feel like you're kind of a trendsetter a trailblazer. Uh, you know, you're doing things, although we might not be doing it for us so much in terms of, you know, fame and fortune, I think we're we're doing it for those guys down the road. Those, you know, maybe our kids, you know, and I think it's it's exciting to be a part of that.
0: Yeah, I you know, I think the league does a good job with this in terms of, um, it leads to my next question. You know, you're inspiring the next generation by traveling to so many different stadiums. I know you guys definitely have to get on a, you know, many planes and go to different cities and play, you know, on such short notice and in, compar- in comparison to other leagues. What's that like just in terms of the travel for, um, you know, with the PLL and going to different places and just, you know, trying to spread the lacrosse culture.
1: I mean, it's, it's exciting, right? It's really exciting to spread the culture. It's really exciting to spread the game. I think, you know, when you, when you go to a market that that doesn't get to see high level lacrosse all the time, it's always really exciting to kind of go and inspire those kids. And, you know, it's a lot, it wears in the body getting on these six and a half hour flights to Seattle, getting on these flights to Denver and red eyes home and, you know, all these back and forth, all these hours driving in cars, the games that are, you know, just outside of flight range and you might as well drive it, it, it wears on you. But when you see those kids' faces light up, you know, it definitely makes it, makes it a whole lot better. I remember, you know, this year, for example, I played a game in Louisville, Kentucky, and, you know, the All-Star game was out in Louisville, and I had zero expectations for a crowd in Louisville, Kentucky. I honestly did. You know, I didn't expect much. Um, you know, I, I was I wasn't as looking forward to it. When we showed up; that stadium was packed. Those people were excited. They were loud. You know, to see those people scream and be excited and and know your name and have your jersey and things like that for a place I never thought would have a lacrosse culture. Uh, it, it's pretty cool, and you know that's that's why you do it.
0: Yeah, you want to grow the game and definitely inspire the next generation. And this league is off such a great start whether it's the players, the advertising, Paul Rabel, you name it, it's, it's getting out there. Um, so you've had a lot of personal success, like you said, Defensive Player of the Year. What's it like to win that championship, just to know that you can look at yourself and say, I won a championship, but also I have a lot of individual success as well because there are thousands of athletes there in the pros who have that individual success, but they never win, and you did it so quickly.
1: Yeah, um, you know, for me, I, I had won quite a lot growing up, um, you know, in every sport I played, I won, um, I won championships in literally every sport I played all the way up through high school, right? I won in high school too. And, you know, my lacrosse career really started as a PG and, you know, we, we, we didn't win. We had good teams. We had Providence again, we had great teams, but we never, we never captured that championship. Right. We never even, we never even captured that big East championship. We came so close, but we never captured that. Right. And, uh, it, it always stung. So when I get to the pros and, you know, continued in my journey in lacrosse, you know, again, the individual accolades came and they kept coming. But to win that, finally get your hands on that trophy, that's something, that's a feeling I'll, I'll never forget, right? To so be able to hoist that trophy and know that, you know, you've kind of completed the cycle, you've come full circle. I think that is, uh, that's a that's a feeling, that's a feeling that can become addicting right and i think a lot of these guys even in any sport you see guys win a win a championship you know middle of young younger guys who win early that's great right they have this addiction to chase that feeling again but i even think with older guys you'll see guys win a championship with older guys and they'll become so addicted to trying to get that feeling again that they'll they'll extend their career years just because they want that feeling um it's really hard to describe because the amount of work and time you put in to a sport to, you know, ultimately try to achieve that moment and most times come up short, when you finally do achieve it, it's uh, it, it's a, it's a overwhelming, not just emotionally, but physically as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. There's so many great points. And I think you see that with a lot of guys in the NFL, like guys like Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. It's like they say they want that first one so bad, but once, you know, they win it, the whole gear uh, energy and shifting towards a one, that second one, it's just, it's just a bit of a different feeling. And you can see why Tom Brady came back, uh, even though he was winning many, many times, he still wanted to win more. So I want to get into the world's fastest shot record that uh, you've established uh, multiple times. Now how cool is that? Just because, you know, you win an individual award. It's something that, you know, you can repeat. Maybe other guys are going to win it down the line. It's going to be won many, many times. You win a championship, but Hey, many, Teams win championships year in and year out, but you have a record. I mean, how unique is that?
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely a cool feeling. Um, and actually I was on the phone with a guy the other day about this. Um you, you know, having that record is cool and it's great and all. Um and, and I enjoy it and it's it's fun to win and it's it's cool to see people kind of, you know, ooze and ahs and and really celebrate you for that. But what's what's even cooler is the way that the youth responds to the fastest shot, right? I think there's a lot of skills, competitions, and things in the the all-star game, whether it's accuracy, whether it's fastest player, whether it's whatever, that I don't think anything gets as much recognition as the fastest shot, right? It's the one everyone wants. It's the one kids pay attention to. But, you know, taking that and using it to inspire more kids to get into the sport is kind of what I've done. And I think that's the coolest part about it, right? So kids will go, you know, I'll go to a camp or a clinic or something, and I'll have these youth kids from, you know, first or second grade, and usually do them in in sections. So first or second grade to fifth grade. And a lot of these kids are either picking up a stick for the first time, have never really played, or they've played for a couple of years. And it's, you know, it's little kid lacrosse. It's mite lacrosse. They run around. They're not really playing the sport yet. They're kind of just out there together. And when you put on a shooting demo and you shoot the ball at that speed, the way the kids' eyes get big and they kind of flow down and they really start paying attention, they want you to do it again and again, that inspires them to then go home, right? And they have something they want to work on now. They want to shoot like that one day. And that's what I think the coolest part about winning the fastest shot is is you go and you do that in front of kids and it changes their whole outlook on the game. They, they might have been interested before. They might have been trying it but not having the best time. But when you shoot a ball 120 miles an hour, six feet away from a seven year old, their whole world changes. Right. And that's what I think is the coolest part about winning the fastest shot.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. you I was definitely in expect to. Here, and obviously it's so great that you value inspiring the game or inspiring the kids that play the game and uh, that next generation you know speaking of that next generation uh, people are gonna have something to work towards at a young age given the fact that lacrosse is becoming an Olympic sport it's going to be starting in 2028 what's well, it like just to hear that just because you know you've been part of such a big change in the game in terms of this league but this is more of a worldwide change
1: yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, so for me, I grew up, you know, playing basketball, baseball, and football. And, you know, I quit the other sports to play basketball when I was in high school. Um, And I grew up watching the dream teams, watching the redeem teams, watching, you know, all these teams in the Olympics. I grew up watching all these guys walk around with the pride of having like Olympic rings tattoos, right? Michael Phelps, I've seen everything he's ever won. I see all these gold medals hanging on his neck. And I think, you know, I always had that dream to be in the Olympics one day as a child. And then, you know, you settle in on a sport of lacrosse, and that dream shifts a little to, oh, I'd like to be in the World Games, right? And although the World Games are great, and I'm not discrediting them in any way, it's not the Olympics, right? You don't have those rings. You don't have those gold medals and those bronze medals and those silver medals. You don't have those. Not the... not the same impact so then to finally hear a few days ago that lacrosse has been accepted into the olympics is an extremely exciting moment for me and i think for a lot of kids because now that dream can become reality now that olympic village can become reality now those games in front of fans can become a reality and i think that that is something a lot of guys have always wanted to be a part of and i know you know, mostly this will be setting it up for the next generation, but I will do everything I can to be on an Olympic
0: roster. Yeah. i like to hear that. You know, coming from a great player, it'd be great to have you on the team and um, definitely a great goal to aim for. So, Jared, my last question is just going into next season. What are your expectations you're putting on yourself? You know, you're an established veteran in this game and in this league. Um, what are you looking for this team, obviously, to win a championship, but, um, what are the things you're gonna do differently this offseason to you know make sure that can happen?
1: Yeah, I think uh I think this year I've actually arguably played my best defense ever. Um, I think I was the best this year I've ever been. Um, I, I trained really hard for the season. I got ready for the season, you know, in every way possible. But uh I think I played my best my best season ever this past year so far. Um, and I, I think that's reflected in, you know goals against percentage I think you know I held guys to all-time lows and I also they probably had their worst shooting percentage while I was guarding them so that's that's exciting for me but now it's how do I beat that Um, I try to improve each year I trained really hard this past year um, and I'm going to continue to train hard again I think I'm going to try to mix in a couple other things into my game this year try to play a little more free Um, but in terms of on the defensive end I would I would definitely, there's always room for improvement, but I'd like to play at the same caliber I played at last year and then try to sprinkle in a few other things I've been working on.
0: Yeah, and with the work that you have, you should be able to achieve those goals. Sorry, I was just wondering in terms of, uh, I know it's the last question, but just how does it work in terms of just welcoming the new guys on your team? Because you guys have the draft and it's not like one of those things where you say, you know, hey, I'll see at the facility. You know, let's let's throw, let's get some shots up. I mean, how do you guys make that work in just in terms of welcoming the new rookies?
1: Yeah. The new guys training camp is really big, right? Like having them at training camp, talking with them, being in the dorms with them, going to meals with them. It's really big. And, you know, unfortunately some of those guys won't make it to the active roster, but you try to make relationships last long enough that, you know, you, you got something to look forward to every Thursday when you're traveling away for a weekend, I get to see X, Y, and Z. And, you know, you try to bond with the young guys as much as you can. You try to teach him as much as you can, right? I know for me, or I tried to teach Will Bowen as much as I could about this league, right? I tried to give him as much advice about this league and do nothing but but pick him up and encourage him being a rookie. And I think there's an older guy now, which is weird to say, um, you have to welcome these young guys and you have to you have to show them the right way to do it. Because a lot of them might come out and think it's just, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to, you know, go around on the weekends and just have a good time. But it's it's not that. Um, you know, we treat this like professionals. We we train like professionals. We work like professionals. We eat like professionals. We're dedicated to this. So, you know, it's weird to say, but, you know, being an older guy in the league now, it's our duty to pass it on to the younger generation on how, to, how it's supposed to be done.
0: Yeah, definitely a great mentality to have, and you know, being welcoming and establishing a good culture. Yeah, it should be another great season for you guys. Wishing you guys the best of luck, Jared. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Good luck with the off-season training, and uh, I'll be following along next season. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right, have a good one.